It's Flynn Stage Radio with Steve McQueen, a behind-the-curtains podcast featuring conversations with artists, producers, directors, and more. Grab your all-access pass and follow the man himself, artistic director Steve McQueen. The Flynn Center was lucky enough to be one of the stops on the National Theatre of Scotland's tour of its tremendous piece, The Strange Undoing of Prudentia Heart, a theatre work based on Scottish border ballads that tells, in rhyming language, the story of a woman's hundreds years long affair with the devil, uh, which starts one night at a pub lock-in. It was hilarious and beautiful and kind of creepy, and uh, it was audience participatory, and everybody had a blast watching it. Actually, one person came up to me afterwards, left it at the intermission, said he didn't like it. Other than that, everybody loved it. Um, During the run of the three shows, I went out for a beer with Neil Murray, the executive director of the National Theatre of Scotland, who has since taken a position at the Abbey Theatre in Dublin. He's a pretty big heavy hitter in the world of European theatre. But he's a very down-to-earth guy, and we sat in the basement of the farmhouse and drank those Hill Farmstead Edwards, super highly recommended, one of my favorite beers in the world, um, and talked about a variety of subjects, including the National Theatre of Scotland's work. Um, They don't actually have a fixed home. They move from place to place and create works for the places that they stage them in. Uh, We also talk extensively about music, as we are roughly the same age and have the same fixations about Manchester music scene, um, punk rock, the Bay City Rollers, which is a Scottish phenomenon I've never quite understood and I was seeking some some clarity on. And I was absolutely amazed to find that he knew and was friends with John Langford of the Mekons, which to my mind is the greatest rock band of all time that no one's ever heard of. Uh, If you don't know the music of the Mekons, you should really go check it out. I would start with, say, Fear and Whiskey or So Good It Hurts. Those are my favorites. Um, But you can't go wrong. Uh, It was a delightful conversation down in the basement, and I hope you enjoy it. So talk about this show that we just saw last night. We didn't see a heart. Strange undoing. You said a, a thing that I thought was pretty funny about how since you guys don't have a theater, there's no National Theater of Scotland theater place that you design shows to fit places. Yeah. And you said the inspiration for this was just to do a show in a pub. Do a show in the the, the original inspiration was uh, David Gregg, the director, and Will's no, the writer, sorry, and Will's Wilson, the director, that made a show for the National Theater of Scotland very early on. A children's show, which was a kind of anarchic thing that we taught, and it was very successful. It was great fun. And they wanted to do another show together, and they started to talk about the concept of doing a storytelling show about the border ballads of Scotland, which are these kind of 13th century onwards stories, and mainly songs, which is why border ballads. Um, about doing a show about border ballads set in a pub. In what we would call in Scotland a lock-in. Do you know, you know what a lock-in? Do you know what a lock-in is? No. You, you're a man who would enjoy a lock-in. A lock-in is when you're a regular in the bar, and it gets to kind of close to closing time, and the landlord kind of chews everybody out who's not a regular and shuts the door. Oh, I would love and You are locked in, basically. That sounds fun. It's like once you're in, you can't get out. Okay. And then basically they draw the curtains, you know, turn the music down a bit, or maybe the instruments might come out, and everybody stays in the pub often free beer or certainly but it's, it's it's a privilege to be at the lock in your it means you're being selected for the lock it's a part of the group okay as soon as we started talking to pubs about it it was impulsive everybody said you can't advertise a lock in it's illegal you know the whole point about a lock in is that 
the police will shut you down. Right. So, so, so we gave up on the notion of the lock-in, but we didn't give up on the notion of doing it in bars. But we, but we stayed true to our, our dream of either only doing it in pubs or doing it in spaces uh, like the Flint space here, where you can create the notion of a bar. Yeah. People have to feel they're in a either a bar, a, a pub, or a, maybe a village hall that has a bar. So it's got the notion of a Scottish village hall with a bar. So it doesn't strictly have to be a pub, but you know, it's one of the few pub shows where we insist alcohol is served. You know, and if people, yes. normally it's like, can't take your drink in. It's like you have to take your drink in. <laughs> Bay City Rollers, those are yours, right? Are they, are they Scottish? Yeah. Are you a fan? Nobody would, nobody would open up to me. <laughs> no man would open up to me. <laughs> I mean, when I was growing up, the Bay City, I mean, I didn't grow up in Scotland, I grew up in South Wales. But the Bay City Rollers were a phenomenon for about two years. Two years, that's right. Roller mania. Roller mania. There aren't many manias. There are many. <laughs> Beatle mania. Yeah. Roller mania. I can't give another music. Bieber has a mania, doesn't he? Who? Bieber? Bieber? Isn't there a Bieber mania of some kind? Okay. But um, I saw a good interview with, uh, with Les McEwen of the Bay City Rollers where he said, you know, we had a mania. Who yeah. else had a mania? I remember they had a Saturday morning TV show over here in the States. Well, the States was an interesting one. Uh, this story is very prevalent at the moment because they just reformed in Scotland. I had no idea. They've been playing gigs. They were actually fantastic pop songs, of course. What I didn't know until um, they had a number one in the US. US, which S A T U R D A Y. S A T U R D. Yeah, which, like, which with the Ramones openly said was Blitzkrieg Pop. It is. That's what they said. We, hey, ho, let's go. We heard that and went. We could do a punk, we could do a more buzz song, right. and that's exactly. I didn't know that until quite recently. You can hear it. Yeah. You, well, as soon as you so you mentioned, yeah. you go, you know, and Blitzkrieg Pop is one of my favorite records, yeah. and I go, it's the same record. Yeah, I mean, the, the roller story is a classic story of betrayal. Illegality, corruption. I mean, they lost all the money. The, the manager, the, the rollers, they were all bankrupt. They got nothing. They got nothing. They got nothing out of it. Nothing at all. Maybe that should be a National Theatre Scotland production. Yeah, exactly. Bay City Rollers. Well, I think there's something in that story to tell. Um, I think now everybody sees a, it's kind of, you know, that that concept of guilty pleasure that you go, well, actually, those songs were really good, in, you know. And, yep. I mean, I was of an age where I was a young punk and you couldn't, you couldn't own up to it. Yeah, no. Well, not only could you not own up, I'm sure at the time I didn't like it because yeah. it was just girls with all this tartan and everywhere, and of course. there's mad trousers with the big tartan bits at the bottom and scarves. Yeah. <laughs> it was a mania, though. It was a mania. It had a mania. That's his yeah. great quote. We, he said, you know, had a mania. He said, the Beatles had a mania and the Rollers had a mania. Nobody else has had a mania. Um, I went to college in Manchester in the north of England. I went there primarily for two reasons. One, I was a Manchester City football club fan. They were, they were my team. Secondly, I went for the music scene in Manchester, which I was a huge fan of Joy Division. And they were, they were from Manchester and yeah. still around when I got there, so I saw them. I was lucky to see them. You saw Joy Division, saw Joy Division twice. Yeah, twice. Was it unbelievable? Yeah, they were fantastic. I saw 
Well, once in Manchester and once in London. Um, have you seen the film Control? Yes, I have. You know, you know the film where there's a riot where he has a fit. Yeah. Where, and I was at that gig. Wow. They, they played fast and loose with it. I was at that show where there was a riot. It was at the factory club in Manchester. Um, what I always remember is Peter Hook bringing his Rick and back of bass down on somebody, and literally the club door, everybody running out of the club, and and, and, and I, I bought the, the local newspaper, the Manchester Evening News, the next day, fully expecting the main headlines to be person killed by bass guitar. <laughs> so, whoever he hit seemed to have escaped. Wow, they're so, lucky. That's a, that's a heavy guitar. That heavy guitar. It's got pointy bits on it. And he had a very low slug action, so he was bringing it down a very long way. But the music was sensational at that time. You know, I remember, you know, in, in my first few weeks in Manchester, you know, we we have a thing called Freshers Week. Does Freshers Week happen here? Your first week of college. It's called Freshers Week in okay. the UK, where basically your college just puts on gigs, really. And the college scene in Britain used to be huge. That's where people played. Right. Um, and I went to Manchester Polytechnic, as was. And we had our own student union. We had a great building called Cavendish House. And in my first week, I saw the Buzzcocks, uh, Stiff Little Fingers, who are an amazing Northern Irish band, um, John Cooper Clark, who's a Manchester oh. punk poet. Oh, this is like I'm sometimes on the same bill, you know. So you two supporting a band called Wahid, which is a guy called Pete Wiley from Liverpool, and you two with a support act. Um, like 18-year-old Bono climbed over the rafters of his yeah. club with a very bad haircut. Yeah. Um, he kept that up for years. Exactly. That mullet. The mullet, we call yeah, it. big with the mullet. Big with the mullet. Um, that's a historic time and place. Oh, it was an amazing time. Yeah. It was an amazing time to be there. What's the name of your band? Oh, we were terrible. We were called Ralph and the Ponytails. Okay. <laughs> we were a homage to... Our lead singer um, looked like Ralph Malf from Happy Days, the US. He had red hair. So he was called Ralph at school. Okay. And the ponytails we got from that great 60s song, uh, Born Too Late, the ponytails. We loved that kind of... So we were, we, were on, we were a kind of humorous punk band, I think. It was very weird. So when I was in London, I just thought, rather than just go to gigs all the time and watching football and go to movies, I should go and see some theatre. So I went down to... One night I went down to Leicester Square to the the half-price ticket booth. Uh, it's a bit like the Times Square one in New York, where you just think, yeah. just discount yeah. the tickets, Ticks. anything is left. Yeah. And, and I paid £3 for a ticket to see The Accidental Death of an Anarchist by Dario Fo, when it was the original London production of it, by a guy called Gavin Richards. And it was fantastic. It was absolutely fantastic. It was in the West End. And it, um, it was it was a kind of Damascene moment. The scales literally fell off my eyes. I was watching it because it was funny and it was political and it was urgent and just brilliant, like, just brilliant story time. And I just thought, I don't know what it is, but I want to do something that's to do with that. I think, um, I think the interesting thing is that the, what the Abbey have been trying to do is trying to sell, trying to get people interested in the old Irish work, like the Plough and the Stars. What people want is new Irish writing, like Terminus, which is much more vibrant than talking about a modern Ireland. And the Abbey is um, it's an interesting place. It, it's, the perception of it is not what it is. I, when I first went to the Abbey, which was probably about 20 years ago, A, I thought it was going to be a really old building. I thought it was going to be this kind of, you know, an Abbey. An Abbey. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
uh, and secondly I thought it was going to be bigger than it is it's the Abbey currently is a 1960s breeze block building it's, it's the third building on the two of the uh, two abbeys have burnt down already oh okay it's called the Abbey because it's on Abbey Street got it um, so <laughs> that's wow it's, uh, yeah so it already looks totally different in my mind exactly. than I had I thought it was remotely what I was dreaming yeah it's it's a modern 60s building the, the auditorium the main stage as they call it uh, is 490 seats but I think one of the problems I shouldn't say this is how public does this get oh not very if you don't want this to go on the way no but I no I'll say actually I think the problem for the Abbey is that they've they've been overcautious about their theatre they talk about the Abbey main stage like it's the size of Carnegie Hall or the uh, not a good comparison on a theatre like the Olivier or the Royal Albert Hall it's a 500 seat theatre come on you can do new work in a 500 seat theatre we do all the time but they, is there an actual reticence to producing new work at the end? yeah I think okay. there is I think there's uh, there's, a, there's a fear of it there's a fear they they have such such extraordinary legacy because of you know Sean O'Casey J.M. Singh Sing, yeah wrote their plays for the Abbey but they were new plays when they wrote them <laughs> when there was a riot at Playboy of the Western World which there was because of how he betrayed the Irish that was a brand new play that's right people weren't rioting at a, yeah. something they knew they were like what? Yeah. people don't riot at revivals do they? Yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> so I want the Abbey to be this place where riots might happen again Do they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I want the Abbey to be this place where riots might happen again.